0: Welcome to Finding Your Epic. This is a show where senior level women share their epic moments, telling the story behind those light bulb experiences where they learned a powerful skill that shaped their career progression. Hosted by me, Jacqueline Frost, founder of Elevate Talent. Welcome to Finding Your Epic, This is a show where senior level women share their epic moments, telling the story behind those light bulb experiences where they learned a powerful skill that shaped their career progression. Hosted by me, Jacqueline Frost, founder of Elevate Talent. Today, we are talking with Nikki Perfect. Nikki has a truly unique background. Following many years as an inspector with the Metropolitan Police in London, Nikki then trained to be a hostage and crisis negotiator a role she then carried out for 10 years. And I have had the pleasure of working with Nikki over the years in her new role as a communication coach. Every time we speak, I glean a new tip or I'm reminded of a simple strategy that really makes a difference. I really can't wait for her to share her story and her tips with you today. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you very much, Jacqueline. Lovely to be here and see you again. So, Nikki, tell us, what was it about being a hostage negotiator that made you want to take on this very high pressured role? So, that's a really interesting question because, to be honest, I didn't actually know a huge amount
1: about it before I took on the role. I had worked in a variety of roles. When I became a negotiator, I had, well, when I first thought about becoming a negotiator, I was working on the firearms team. So, I was one of six women seven women in a group of 650 men. I had a mentor who arrived a couple of ranks above me. She kind of took me under her wing and she said, Hey Nick, do you fancy being a negotiator? I think you'd be good at it. And I was like, "Oh, I thought you had to be a chief inspector. And she said, no, no, they have dropped the rank to inspector. They'd like to recruit more people. Think you should give it a go. And so I shadowed her on a few negotiations. I went and found out more about it. I knew all about negotiators because I'd worked with them on many an occasion in London, especially in firearms. And also, I'd, I'd worked on some very busy boroughs where we had lots of firearms incidents So I kind of knew what they did, but I didn't know the depths of what they did. And so the more I found out about it, the more I was just like, this is amazing. This is just what I want to do. This is who I want to be. Not only do I want to do it part-time, because at the time police negotiators and still are work as in a part-time role and they do have a full-time job and then go on call. But there was a team of just six people working at the time out of New Scotland Yard in the UK. And I was like, I really want that job. I really want to be on that team. And after five years, I successfully got on the team, which then opened my whole world up to international negotiation as well as working within the UK. So it was an amazing,
0: amazing, (laughs) it was just an amazing job. So, just to recap one thing here, you worked as a volunteer for five years before you finally got into the team as a full time member of that team. And that was on top of a day job.
1: Yeah, exactly right. I would do my normal day job. That must have been full on. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was full on. And because I knew that was my goal, that I wanted to get onto the full time unit, I volunteered all the time. So, when I wasn't on call for my day job, which at the time was internal affairs, investigating other police officers. I then put myself on call to be a negotiator. Thankfully, I had a really understanding boss around that. So yeah.
0: So just to go back one step though, when your mentor mentioned to you that she thought you'd be really good at this, she obviously thought you were already a very good communicator. Did you think you were already a very good communicator?
1: I hadn't really thought about it. I had been a police officer for 20 years I always relied on communication skills. It didn't matter who I was talking to, whether it was people in crisis, people that were victims of crime, or even suspects that I'd arrested, or my colleagues, or my friends. I knew I could connect with people, and I love people. And that's the thing. I love listening to people. I love hearing their stories. And I, I've met many people who've done many things in their lives, but they all have a story to tell about it as well. Every single one of them. Once you get rid of the emotion, once you take out yourself out of the high pressure initial kind of adrenaline, when you speak to people, they they all have a story, and and the majority of people are just normal people going through a particular incident at the
0: time. Yeah, yeah, you're you're seeing people at their worst.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nobody phones the police to say, "Hey, I'm having a great day."
0: <laughs> yeah, come help me celebrate. Is exactly? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, and so when, what did you learn? So you went on training and was that in the UK, just in the UK, or did you do training outside of the UK? So I was trained on a two-week course at Hendon
1: in London. So at the time there was two places you could train. One was in London and one was in Scotland, Police Scotland. So I trained in London. It was a really intense two weeks. We had classroom inputs from half past eight till 5pm and then we'd had dinner And then from six onwards, sometimes even till one, two o'clock in the morning, we would do role play and be assessed and cut under pressure and held under the spotlight. So it was really an intense two weeks. And it just turned everything I believe to be true about communication on its head and kind of gave me a completely different way of looking at how we approach conversations and negotiations and especially those difficult, challenging conversations where you need to build relationships up really quickly In for us at the time, life. Life changing and life saving moments in other people's lives.
0: That's really fascinating. So it changed the way that you had looked at communication. So can you give us an example of that, of where, you know, what you'd thought prior to this training and what you then learned after training?
1: So I learned during the training and the training was just like the tip of the iceberg. As soon as I had had those two weeks, I was like, this is amazing. I need to learn more about this. And I gradually realized more and more every conversation we have is really about us and it's about what we want and what we believe to be true. And when you're talking to somebody in crisis especially, you can't suddenly chip in your story. They're not interested in your story and who you are and what you've got to share and what your point of view is and what your belief system. I'll give you an example of that, an extreme example. I remember having a conversation with a young lady on top of a building and her belief system was so powerful about that nobody cared for her that she was considering whether she should live or die. Now, my belief system at the time, and I hadn't even realized it, was actually I have really strong relationships with my family and friends. And I believe that everybody is cared for in the world. So she's standing there on the edge of the building and I come in and she says, nobody cares about me. My immediate reaction at the time as a very naive and young negotiator was to say, well, I care about you. Well, I've challenged a huge belief something she believes to be true that's driving her behavior. And, of course, I get a very emotional pushback saying, you don't know me. How can you possibly say that? Who are you? You know nothing about me. And I, re- I found that really interesting. I was like, actually, you're right. I have no right to challenge your belief system. You're here for a reason. So, yeah, so that's what the biggest lesson I've learned in negotiation and communication is it's all about us. It's all about what we believe to be true.
0: Well I think thinking back on it on it, so I started off my career in sales in investment banking. And I recall going to we it was amazing actually. A look back, it was absolutely incredible. We were all graduates went out to I was working for American Bank, all graduates went out to New York. I think we went out for six weeks. And we had a, a week of sales training. And there were a number of really Great points that the the team, the sales team, the very senior team in New York, and very successful team, probably one of the most successful sales teams that they had at the bank at the time. Which would make sense why they asked and talked to the graduates. But I remember thinking there was a couple of really big highlights that they shared, headlines that they shared that stayed with me. One of them is nobody cares about you. <laughs> that was their point: was your clients don't care about you, and so what you do with your life. You know what? What problems you have, whatever else that that's not that's not to be shared with them. Nobody cares about you. So focus on the client. And the other one was always behave like the person you're talking to is a client, and therefore you're always going to be at, be at your best. And there were two really good points, and it's interesting. It goes back to this, isn't it? Is that we we sometimes can think people are thinking of us, they're not, and certainly when we're listening to others we can sometimes fall into the mistake of thinking about ourselves, thinking about our response rather than truly listen to the individual. So when it comes to communication, obviously communication is both speaking and listening. So what were your tips, your learning moments on the course and throughout your time as a crisis negotiator? What did you learn about listening?
1: So I learned that most of us don't listen. And I think probably all of us, when we think about it, when was the last time you were given a really good listening to? And that pipe. Person was actually fully present with no judgment and just there with you. um, I think probably most of us can think of a handful of times, or people. I'd always say, because so my mentor was a negotiator, Helena, she had this amazing ability that when you spoke to her, you left the room thinking you were the most important person in the world. And for ages, I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I realized what she was doing. She was just giving me this really good listening to. And using reflective language, reflective language is incredibly powerful, especially when you're building those relationships to start with right at the very beginning, because it keeps it all about the other person. The other person feels valued and validated, and they walk away from the conversation going, there's something different about you, but I like you. And I either will work with you or I'll be influenced by you, but there's something different about you.
0: And yeah, so the power of listening and power of reflective language for me were the two biggest takeaways. So again, when you say reflective language, can you give an example of reflective language?
1: Yeah, so if I use exactly the same example where the young girl was standing on the edge and and she says, nobody understands me. So reflecting back to her, reflective language would be something like, you sound like you're really alone at the moment. And by doing that, what I've done is I've recognised how she's actually feeling and I've kept it about her. I haven't taken it away. I haven't given her what my belief system, which would be, I care about you. Just kept it about her. And that helps you to get beneath the surface of the tip of what I call the safe conversations, the tip of ice, the iceberg conversations, where we only show the world what we want the world to see. And actually, if we use reflective language, it allows the other person to see their emotions and see what they might be feeling. You get a truer response.
0: So playing on that same idea. So you said to her, you sound like you are feeling alone. Yeah what happens though if she rejects that idea she doesn't like it because actually she isn't potentially feeling limp potentially she's she's feeling frustrated instead so what would she if she then responds back because again you're in a very high emotional but the thing is people when they when there's a problem we all have you know 95 percent of human reactions are emotional and that's one thing is that having a, a, you know a female audience of what we do there's that emotional tag that that women get get given, but actually as human beings, we are all emotional. 95% of how we react is emotional. So then, so you've responded by your, you know, you're trying to connect and show her that you're listening by your reflective language. However, she doesn't like that. She's not, she doesn't like the alone idea. She turns around and says, oh no, I'm not alone. What, what then do you do? Because you know, you can't, you can't read people's minds. What then do you no. do? So,
1: so generally you're, you're right. If you've got it wrong and we do get it wrong, People generally turn around and say, no, I don't feel alone. I feel frustrated or I feel angry or I feel let down or I feel behaved. So they tell you how they feel, which is perfect because now we can go in with a nice big open question about what exactly is it that's causing you to feel so alone. And and now we're tapping into them. Now, they might not necessarily answer that, but what what it does, it allows the brain to answer the question. So it allows the brain to start to find the solution to their problem rather than me going in, and giving them loads of solutions, which are all about me and what
0: I believe to be true. Now I'm helping her to find her own solution. It's interesting also because we, we focus a lot in the Elevate year of the program. We tend to do a session around building those really powerful relationships such as mentors, sponsors, but we kind of give a wider range of that. We talk about building a board of advisors rather than as individual people. And one of the frustrations we hear from the women themselves say, well, you know, I was given a sponsor, but they're not listening and I'll tell them what, I, what I'm trying to achieve. And they'll just not say anything. And this is a senior person that they've, they've been matched with in order to get that help and that support, that guidance in their career to further their career. These are ambitious women who want to do well. So in that scenario where you potentially got a sponsor or a more senior advisor or mentor who is trying to give you the solutions, I think people's intentions are good. I I, I firmly believe people's intentions are good there. This is not somebody trying to sort of, you know, oh, do as I say and you'll be great, that kind of thing. They just genuinely believe they have the answer. So in that scenario, what would you advise somebody who's been given a sponsor through work and that person is just desperate to fix the problem for them and tell them what to do rather than listen to actually what the problem is and then help them solve it. How do they guide that person? So it, it's again, it comes back to
1: listening. So generally what we say is only what we want to put out in the world. But underneath all of that is our feelings, our experience, our values, our beliefs, our insecurities, our fears, all of that. And we can't find out what they are unless we give the other person a really good listening to, that's what I say, go and give the other person a really good listening to and find out what their motivators are, find out what their fears are. And the way that we can do that is using reflective language and and just digging a little bit deeper with big open questions to find out what's really going on. Because then when we know what's really going on for that person, then that allows us to go, okay, I'm going to put one of my feet in your shoes. I'm going to keep the other foot in my own shoe and we're going to walk together. And I'm going to share my experiences when I've earned the right to, when you're ready to hear them. But I'm going to also look at the world from your perspective and see what it looks like for you. And then we can work together to come up with a solution that's best for you, not me, because I've already done this and it's about you. So I can guide you. I, you know, I can put you in the right direction of people to contact and bits and pieces. But you know, what's it really about? Why do you really want to achieve that?
0: Yeah. I think also people can find themselves, it's tricky when you are the junior person with a senior person that way around because what you're what you're left with and i think again it's it's sometimes a little bit of a, a mindset issue you could be with somebody who's who is more senior than you but you can be a better communicator than they are and you can be better listen than they are and it's not to expect that senior person it, you know is always is going to be better at everything than you are i i've lost count over the years of working with the team here at elevate talent previously in my time in banking where a junior person has spoken up and I'm like, sorry, can could say that again. What was that? And you think to yourself, that is such a genius thing. I never knew that because we have such different experiences. So it's also that whole point of valuing your voice and thinking that what you have to say has value. So again, going back to the fact that you were in these extreme situations, you must have had to really firmly believe in your own value in those scenarios that actually you could make a difference. So how did you kind of get that mindset around? Was that something, again, because what we talk about here with you know, finding your epic, it's really holding into skills that you are good at and can be amazing at, which is what you've done. You were clearly a great communicator. You liked people who said at the start. You enjoyed hearing people, you enjoyed hearing their stories. So clearly you were already a good communicator and it was something you could really excel at and you pushed yourself to be, you know, in these extreme situations to really prove it. But you also need to feel that you can add value. So how did you keep that thought, especially when, again, some scenarios can't have gone well at the end of it? There must have been some scenarios where it did not end well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I spent a lot of time reflecting and I still do. So I I believe that communication is not a soft skill, that it's a life-saving or a life-changing skill. I really believe that. I feel that you get all your learning in the reflection, but what we do generally with communication is we kind of, it's an unconscious behavior and we just go blur most of the time and the words just come out. And sometimes you just have to press the big pause button and go, how are they reacting to me? What am I saying? Are we making a connection? And so even now, you know, I'd love to sit here, Jeff Lynn, and tell you that I'm the best communicator in the world, you know, that all my relationships are perfect, that I never get emotional, but that would be a complete lie. And But it's from those conversations that I learn the most because I go away and I think about them and I take them apart and I, I take ownership of my side. What did I contribute to that conversation that made it go down a particular path? What have I not seen? What is that person trying to tell me that I'm just not hearing? And then suddenly the more you do that, the more that unconscious becomes conscious and the more conscious you are in anything you do the better you're going to be at it, anyway. Doesn't matter what what skill it is. When you're there and you're conscious and you're doing it, you're just going to improve.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. As you know, it's one of the four pillars of the epic: exposure, performance, impact, and conscious. And you're absolutely right. And they're not silos; either they overlap because you can't have one without the other. And there are skills that, that overlap, and a, and a, you know, communication is one of those ones that clearly overlaps in all of those because. If you want to impr- improve your visibility, then speaking up is the easiest way to do it. But speaking up poorly is also the best way to give yourself the worst exposure ever, say with your performance. If you communicate poorly in a meeting then or you communicate purely p- poorly about what you want somebody else to do or or you know therefore you know people aren't doing the right things again, impact you can have a very negative impact on people by just blurting out. I like that. Just, we just blurt out, don't we? You blurt something out and you leave that person thinking, well, that wasn't very kind or I didn't deserve that or that's upset me or that's triggered my own emotional reaction, which is not not great. So, so no, I, I completely agree on the conscious. Every time you say the word perfect, by the way, it's making me smile because it's your name, Nicky's perfect. <laughs> You're probably bored of hearing this, aren't you? You've probably heard of it. But every time you hear this, I, I know you talk about being the communication coach, but I think you should add in the perfect communication coach, but might be sending yourself up for... Uh... And I like the point that you say as well is that actually your the greatest learning moments are actually when it doesn't go well because that's when you get a chance to unpick and see what new things you can learn and what new strategies are out there. Yeah. So when you say you then reflect, do you have any particular process that you that you use? What's your reflective process? So I'll,
1: I'll sit down and I'll, I'll go, okay, well, what was actually the purpose of me having that conversation in the first place? And, and was I clear around that? Because sometimes I think we go, especially into difficult conversations, and we're just not really clear what our purpose is. And so when we don't think about a conversation and we become unconscious, it's more likely to be emotional. So I always say, think about what you're going to say. And so when I reflect, I go, right, what was my purpose? Was that clear? Probably not. Okay. So what what derailed me? How came come I became emotional or I got an emotional response? What was that? Was that because I was putting on my own sort of personal belief and not seeing the world through their eyes? Did I take time enough before the conversation to stop and think? Actually, what does the world look like from their perspective? And what fear is being created here? Because most most times when you get an emotional response, there's a fear. It's just about identifying the fear or the perception of the fear around what that might be. And then I always think, what part did I play where the communication broke down? And it's generally because I've become emotional myself. So I've then gone from my logical brain into my emotional brain. And we know that as soon as you go into emotional brain, you communicate and behave in a different way. And you say things that perhaps you wouldn't normally say or in a different way, or you avoid the conversation. So you go into that submissive, I'm stepping back, I'm not going to give you my opinion, I'm going to keep quiet, I'm going to not participate, and I'm going to avoid the issue. So, yeah, so it's that's, how, that's my personal reflective process. And, you know, I'd love to, again, tell you that happens in a matter of minutes, but we all know with difficult conversations that often we replay them, replay them, replay them, Or if we haven't had them yet, we play them in our head. What I love about being a human being is you play the conversation in your head, answer for the other person who you haven't even spoken to yet. It becomes a much bigger issue. And then you speak to them and go, why did I blow that out of proportion? It was actually
0: okay. Oh, no, completely. And you can go into analysis paralysis as well, can't you, where you completely overanalyze what that person might be thinking. And that goes back to a point, actually, I think we made at the very start, is, is that we think that people are thinking of us way more than they are. And I think a lot more of the time people aren't thinking about what they think about you. They're thinking about what other people are thinking about them. <laughs> aren't they? That, and that's where we overthink that and we can over exaggerate. And I like the point as well. The final point I want to mention that what you, what you referred to as well is about taking ownership. And I think that's one of the most powerful things you can do with communication is you take ownership. Because when you own your own communication, I think you have so much more power over how everything works out. What are your, what are your thoughts on, on that idea?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. We often blame people for things that don't go the right way and we use blame language like, you make me feel or, you know, look, look what you've done rather than just going, well, actually, this is how I feel and I'm going to accept responsibility because this is the story I'm making up in my head. And once you can do that and you suddenly realize, actually, that is really pa- that's that is really powerful because I am just making a whole story up in my head and this is how I feel and the only person that can make me feel this way is me. There's nobody else. It's just I feel this way because I'm making myself feel this way. And then once you, you know that, you go, well, if I'm making myself feel this way, I can stop making myself feel like this. Sure. Way. Yeah. And so I can change and I can change the narrative that's going on in my head and as you say, it empowers you. And then, you're, then you're, you become, I think, naturally more assertive. And actually, so you're willing to put your opinion forward, but you're also willing to listen to other people's opinions. And that's
0: where you're then able to move forward with the other person. Yeah, and that's, that's the absolute holy grail. Thank you so much. Now, we always finish our sessions and elevate with a final thought. And I know you have a final thought for us today, Nikki. So, so please uh, share your favourite quote. Thank you. It comes from Maya Angelou, and it's this. I've learned that people
1: will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never
0: forget how you made them feel. So true. Thank you, Nikki. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast on the topic of epic communication. Now go find your epic. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to learn more about any of the tools and strategies discussed, please do reach out to us on LinkedIn or contact us via the website on team at elevatetalent.co.uk. Now go find your epic.